My name is Kason O'Neill, and I am one of the members of the Peak Collaborative. And this month, uh, my colleagues Kevin Richards and um, Jen Krause and I are taking the lead on having a discussion on innovation and where we're going. And the thing I want to preface today is that this is we've attempted in this peak collaborative to have different formats and different sometimes we have panel guests sometimes we have more um open-ended discussions and that's where today leads us because setting the stage uh, for today's discussion we know that covid has amplified our our presence in in the school-based community some good some bad and it's actually highlighted a lot of problems um, that we've had within our PEAT programs when it comes to declining enrollment. Um, and systematically, we've looked at where do we fit in this educational climate. So a lot of today, we want to think about, we know the declining enrollments. We know that we need more of an accountability system, but today we want to look forward and see what individuals are doing to really help innovate. Because we were talking, and it's been a long time since you know true innovation came through in Pete. And there are a lot of Pete purists that I'm sure we'll um, talk about today. Uh, today's focus, though, we acknowledge that there's a heavy tie between uh, Pete and school-based physical education. Uh, we're really highlighting today uh, PEAT programs and what we can do to lead from the front in innovation. And we want to hear what you're doing. We, uh, My colleague Jen Krause is going to start by leading you through a few little topics, whether it's to programming or research or retention. But the thing we want to know is how you're innovating and no innovation is too small to share. Right. So if even if you created a new course or a new assignment in a course that's just, you know, taken off and your your students love it, that's an innovation that we want to hear about. And then there's things from a larger scale where you're changing a major or changing a new recruitment strategy. So we today's we want to not look back, but look forward on where we can go to look at some of this innovation and to acknowledge that, we want to also, we were talking that a lot of the research and publications in, in a quest type journal is very much, we should, we should. And we want to help highlight some actual action that's taking place today. So that's kind of the introduction. I'm going to come back in in a little bit. Um, and I'm going to let Jen start off on leading the discussion uh, on how we are innovating and she's broken it down for you, but please feel free to share. And we really welcome the discussion. Thank you, Kaysen. Um, I'm Jen Krause at the University of Northern Colorado. And I just kind of want to introduce the major themes that we think we want to talk about today, but obviously other things can come up. And please feel free to jump in, um, even if you have an idea that didn't fit with the theme that we're talking about at the moment, please feel free to jump in or, you know, uh, in the chat, of course, is always open for you to uh, share your ideas and ask questions. Um, <clears throat> so really, we want to, like Kaysen said, hear about the strategies that you are 
implementing to, to innovate your programs, um, to innovate Pete within your school, um, your university, college. Um, and like he said, you know, a lot of this ha does have overlap and obviously connected to K-12. Um, so if you have an innovation, uh, something you're doing innovative that is connected to directly and happening in K-12, then, you know, retroactively or somehow benefits Pete, um, that's fine. Um, but we want to just, um, the, the doors open and we want to hear all of your ideas. Some major areas that we're going to plan to talk about today are strategies around program level innovations, um, strategies for recruitment, retention, and then we're going to have, we're going to kind of end with um, responses to contemporary challenges. And a lot of those, a lot of these overlap with each other and are connected and so that's okay. So I think what we'll do first is start off with your program and <clears throat> program level um, innovation. So this could be um, program integrations or alignment, new courses, um, emphases that you've added or um, just had. So for example, some programs have, have added an SEL emphasis um, or you know, added other features to their program that maybe connect health or some other area of fitness. Um, innovative field experiences or redesign of field experience and student teaching models. And that could also include things like identifying strong partners in the community to ensure high quality models, uh, maintaining uh, connections with alumni. I could go on and on. So things basically happening within your program structure or courses that you're teaching or how you've organized it. And then of course, um, field experience innovation. So um, we really wanna welcome people to either raise your hand and then we can unmute you to share what you're doing with that in within those areas. Or again, there's the chat. Um, I'll, I'll start um, at UNC, we just uh, a couple of years ago, went through a, uh, a program evaluation of, you know, we did an assessment mapping exercise. Um, we looked at a, our curriculum map and looked at every course and uh, mapped it out with the standards and, and looked to see where we're meeting standards and where we aren't and our, you know, our strengths and our gaps. And uh, some of, through that process, we have uh, established uh, a couple things. We created a couple new courses and we decided where uh, some courses needed to have more emphasis in certain areas and where others could um, you know, have less. Um, so Jamie, who's uh, not, she's in class right now. So, um, but she developed a course uh, that will start next, next year um, on socio-cultural issues in physical education, um, kind of in response to our mapping exercise and also in response to um, some current events that have been going on and, you know, uh, cultural um, changes within our area and in the state and in response to um, some new standards in the state of Colorado. So that's just one example of a way we think we are innovating. Uh, we hope we're innovating our program. Um, and so I think, and another thing I just wanted to mention too, and this is just it's really an observation, but I think that in my experience here, at least we've tried to 
really do a, a nice job of um, integrating and, uh, and aligning our program in a very purposeful way. So um, I was just speaking with Jamie in the hallway and she was telling me about how she's incorporating uh, gifts uh, in her in her class today and teaching them how to you know, to create them. And I was so excited because we have a PE tech course and it seems like sometimes we say, okay, that's where the students learn the tech. Great. And then they don't really use it anywhere else. And so I was really excited um, just to talk about how, you know, we're also introducing and evaluating students' achievement of different um, areas across the program. Um, and I think that's just one of the things within our own program we realized that we needed to do and, and innovate. So um, I will take a break and see if anyone else has um, ideas. Feel free to raise your hand or um, you know speak. And I know Kevin, if you see anything in the chat, if you would chime in and share what you see there. Uh, Risto wrote in the chat about part-time student teaching experiences, uh, which sounds kind of interesting to me. This would span an entire year part-time instead of full-time for one semester. Um, it has not yet been enacted, but it is in the works in different teacher ed programs on campus. It would allow students to continue working a part-time job to pay bills instead of having to completely stop working for 16 weeks to student teach. Um, you know, that's something that I've never really heard of or, or given thought to. So um, thank you for sharing that, Risto. So I know, um, I, I think Brandy Lynch is here. Um, Brandy, do you want to share? Uh, we, had to, we had a conversation briefly and I was thinking that she maybe wanted to share a couple of ideas that she's doing in Missouri. Um, yeah, do you have one of those specific topics? Because I feel like I could expound on several of them. Yeah, just if you have anything within this kind of area of program level innovation, um, feel free. Um, so, <clears throat> At my university, and it kind of ties to the social justice piece as well, um, they do something called a Kansas City Teacher Education Collaborative. And so they offer grants um, and support to do course redesigns to um, emphasize different areas of cultural competence or um, just to incorporate some of like social justice issues into courses. And I have been teaching a diversity and social justice class in the College of Education for everybody basically but my majors and just really felt like there is a place in our profession and especially in our discipline to do this. And so really dug deep into the research that's out there and uh, applied for one of these grants and got it and actually have done it twice now. And so um, at first I thought, you know, I don't, I don't know where this fits. It would have to be something specific. Um, the course title would have to kind of align. How am I going to add this into my outcomes? And now I'm kind of to the point where I was like, so reflecting, that was a cop out. I, um, I was scared of what I didn't know and didn't want potential backlash or like students or other people to kind of come at me for trying to add these things in because inevitably when you start talking about social justice issues, um, it, people want to talk politics. And I was like, it's not about politics. It's about people and just trying to make sure that we're inclusive and this is a safe space. And 
and we're doing right by our students um, or teaching our students to do right by their students also. And so um, I was able to get in this group with, um, I was the only physical education person, but we met several times over the summer and looked at a specific course to kind of add in some of these components. And so I pulled from um, Jennifer Walton Facet's work and some of the other big names in our field and tied in some social justice standards and, um, <clears throat> and was able to layer these in. And so at first I did it in a secondary methods course. Um, I collaborated with Guadalupe Centers, which is a charter school in the Kansas City area. And my mentality was just like, I know that we send our students to urban placements and they also have to have suburban and rural. So they kind of get a, a taste of everything, but it's usually not for very long. And there's just so many stereotypes with our, our students that they think they're going to get shot and they think they their car is going to get stolen. And just like these outlandish things that they see in the media that aren't necessarily true of what that looks like day to day. And so I really wanted to reach out to one of these schools and get in there. And so the first time we did it was right in the middle of COVID. And um, so we had to teach online. And so we did some yoga flow lessons and pre-recorded those and then showed them live on Zoom and talked through that like that recorded teaching and gave students feedback while we did that. Um, and it's, um, I don't know, 87% of those students are ELL learners. And so um, there were some other barriers that we got to address. And then we got to go in person last semester and um, teach Olympic sports, interestingly, um, and went to the middle school and did some floor hockey. Uh, and it was just a really great experience for our students. But it wasn't like, hey, let's have this conversation. Let's read a chapter. Let's do a case study and then throw them in the, in the thick of it. We spent all semester starting at a very base level of um, like <clears throat> checking yourself. So what um, what does privilege mean for you? We said unearned benefits for several weeks to kind of get them used to the idea that there is this thing about dominant culture. And anytime you align with dominant culture in an area that your life is a little bit easier in that area because the world and the system was built for you. Um, I learned that if you're going to attack this. Uh, race and ethnicity is maybe not the best way to go about because people get super defensive. But when we talked about ableism and, and asked questions and had them reflect on that kind of thing, no one came at me like, why are you mad? Cause I can walk, you know, I didn't ask to be able to walk where they would do that if we were talking about some of those other isms. And so that was one that was kind of a good lead in. And so we did a lot of self-reflection and several of the um, the ideas that are thrown out in the teaching social justice and physical education, like, um, a couple of those, those resources, like none of this, I made up y'all. I, I did not create, I curated and, and had conversations and then fit it to, um, my situation. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> my students did um, physical activity autobiographies, which is one of the activities from that, that text. And, um, they did, another activity and they there's so much disclosure and there was so much self-reflection that a lot of the barriers were like were stripped down um several of my students actually came out about their sexuality in this one class and like no one had any idea about each other and so it created this safe space to like really connect as a group and then they were able to wrestle through some of those tough issues that are just kind of hard to talk about and so 
those are something that we did. I did have the support with this grant and with this group, but um, I know that in the Peak Collaborative and in a lot of other spaces, we're having these conversations and they're very necessary. And I think that if you're like worried about like, I kind of want to do this, but I don't know where to start, there are resources out there. And to, to be frozen by like, I'm not sure what to do, we just can't do that anymore. Um, so even if it's like, I might misstep or I might say something wrong or I might do this, I think when we're just transparent with our students that, hey, we're trying to incorporate these things in, we think it's really important and we're gonna go on this journey together. Um, my students have been incredibly receptive to that. And so um, I would be more than happy to share more details about what that course redesign looked like. So one of them was secondary methods and another one was an uh, analysis and teaching of lifetime activities. But I'm to the point now where I don't need a grant to, to incorporate these things. I want to sprinkle it in everywhere. Just like Dr. Krause said, we don't try to just do technology in the technology course, but we kind of want to embed these experiences all over the place. And so I don't have any control over the courses that I don't teach, but every class that my students get with me, we will have these conversations and this scaffolding and these layers so that it's um, it's a toolbox and it's like this thing that they will hopefully continue throughout their career, not just something to check off the list that makes them feel better about having a conversation. So that's a little bit of what we do. Thanks so much, Brandy. That's so important. <clears throat> um, and if anyone has other questions, I'm sure Brandy would be happy to share in the chat um, to elaborate more if you have questions on that. Um, <clears throat> see, I have, a, I have a quick. Yeah, question. go for it. Sorry. That's fine. Mary Henninger. I don't know why ML Henning comes up. Um, to Brandy's, I'm trying to find where she went on my screen. Uh, to her point of having those difficult conversations with our students. Um, one problem is you're right, uh, where do we start? But I find myself also um, struggling with what if I make a mistake and say the wrong thing? And I get, I get concerned about that sometimes and that's prevented me in the past, but I've kind of pushed through that. But really my question was maybe not exactly um, to this point, but some of our teacher candidates, when we have provided those learning opportunities and those deep discussions, have had a lot of pushback once they're hired as teachers in the public schools. Has anybody had any of that happening? And how are we dealing with that? Thank you. I just started this last year. And so I have very few that are out in the field that have started to incorporate. Um, and with COVID still, they're like, how do I teach virtually and how do I do this online? But that's a really good question because that is the goal, not just to, mm, to have it in our programs, but, but for them to take that out in schools as well. I think even if it, they're not like teaching lessons that are geared towards that, it's changing the way that they develop their curriculum. It's changing the way that they interact with students, um, the language that they use, the uh, types of activities they do. And so I think that in an anecdotal sense, I have gotten some of that feedback about like decisions they've made that have been impacted by the, the work that we did in that area. But as far as like, I want to tie these in and do actual activities in my curriculum with my K-12 students, I haven't heard as much about that yet. Great. Thank you both. <clears throat> and also a quick shout out to Brandy for um, her recent promotion and tenure. So great job. Um, <clears throat> Amanda Campbell has her, her hand up. And so Amanda, you can go ahead and unmute and, and share what you have. 
right, I think I'm unmuted. Um, so I, I don't, first of all, I'll just say, maybe this isn't innovative at all, but I will say it's something, and it's not new, but it's been working for our program. And I feel like I've, um, we also have went through program review uh, last uh, kind of a year and a half ago. Um, and I, probably nine years ago now, I created uh, a new intro class. And when we went through program review, when we went, started going through it uh, about a year ago, I was like, I think I'm going to get rid of that intro class. I think it'd be better if we um, kind of combine the PE intro with the health and exercise science intro. And that'll allow students who are, you know, going back and forth to try and decide between majors that will allow for some more overlap and make it easier for them to switch. But then after um, going through program review and really thinking about it, I felt like, no, I'm keeping that class because I think it's a really good, solid part of our program that provides um, a foundation for my students, but uh, helps students who fresh, they take this class freshman year, spring semester. Um, and it really, it would get them out of the schools right away. So I built it kind of around the appropriate practices documents and uh, right away, my students go out to two elementary schools, two middle schools, and two high schools. And for so many of them, we just did a visit today out to a local elementary school who does this amazing gymnastics unit um, that I don't think anybody else does. And every one of my students walks in and they're like, oh my gosh, my PE class never looked like this. Um, and so it's just an opportunity for them to see beyond their own personal experiences in PE growing up, oh, this is what PE can and should look like. And for those students who really have a passion for um, making PE better, they're hooked and, and they're like, yeah, this is, this is what I wanna do. For some of those students who maybe thought they were gonna teach PE so that they could coach football, this is kind of an eye opener right away for them. Instead of getting all the way to junior year when they really get out there and do some teaching, when it's kind of too late, um, they realize right away either, oh, well, this looks awesome. I do think I want to do that, but it's not what I expected. Or yeah, that's not, I thought I was just gonna be able to roll up and coach some football and they kind of self-select out, which is okay. Um, but in the end, it really gives them an opportunity to get out in the schools immediately. And we have conversations about appropriate practices and what we're seeing and why, and when we're seeing inappropriate practices, what's the context for that? Because it's really easy to kind of be like, oh, those teachers are doing inappropriate practices. Well, why? What's the context? What makes it hard for them to, to implement appropriate practices? And we talk through all of the things um, in the real world of PE that make it difficult, like really large class sizes and um, minimal support and all of those things so that later in the major and they're not in shock and then leave, <laughs> leave teaching or leave the major. Um, and it just creates some really thoughtful conversations up front. So not a brand new class, but I'm keeping it and uh, yeah. And it's been good to get some new students I get about half the class are freshman PE majors, and then about half are not, but they see PE and they want to take the class. And, and some of them get hooked too. So it's a nice way to kind of recruit students um, and bring them into the major. So, Thanks so much, Amanda. And I love that in the, the idea of getting field experiences 
early on, I think is really important for many of the reasons that you said there. Um, speaking of recruitment, um, <clears throat> unless anyone else has something they want to share around individual like program, um, we can always come back to that. I was going to shift gears a little bit to recruitment. We could spend an entire peak collaborative just on recruitment, um, but we molding it in here. And, and so I wanna, I wanna switch gears and, and talk a little bit about recruitment and your strategies for outreach um, and any kind of other experiences that you um, are doing to recruit students. Obviously we, that's a major issue. Um, I know across the country and in, in, in education in general, um, there's a huge decline in enrollment in teacher prep, and obviously we are part of that. So um, I was going to start and share just something that, that happens here at UNC, and it's not specific to PE, but we are part of it, is that uh, every February, so a week from tomorrow, we uh, UNC hosts the Future Teacher Conference, and it's a conference for high school and community college students um, from I would, I would say across the state, but it's actually people from several other states are joining. Um, and I think they have over 400 um, students registered to attend. So they'll come to campus for a full day and they have some big general sessions about teaching and, and uh, teacher of the year from Colorado is the you know, keynote and, and then there's breakout sessions. So they pick and choose the sessions they want to attend. And uh, so every teacher prep program on campus has sessions um, that we, we provide, it's back-to-back -back sessions and then, you know, students come. And I was just looking at the numbers of the 400 attendees, I think we have almost 60 registered to attend the, the physical education session. So I'm really excited. I feel like that's a pretty big number given all of the other choices. Um, so, and that's our opportunity in week. So we have 30 minutes to pitch, you know, PE is the best, <laughs> the best uh, subject area and you should choose us and you should join us. So uh, I know in the past we have recruited students to our program through this conference. And so I, I'm really have high hopes, but um, that's just one idea, something that, that happens here. And like I said, we're not running it. We're just part of the, the whole thing and it seems to be successful. So uh, I'll just open it up. Um, Janae, it looks like you have your hand up. So I'll ask you to unmute and then we'll go from there. Oh, okay, I'm back. I'm sorry. I was typing in the chat. Um, I, I apologize. I'm a little late and I was going to discuss our part-time and full-time internship structure. Um, that we do at Towson. So to provide a little bit of context for state certification in Maryland, um, educators or, or pre-service teachers need to spend 100 days in the public school system in order to qualify for certification. Individual programs get to choose how those 100 days or where those 100 days are spent across the course of the program. So what we do here at Towson um, in Pete is we spend, uh, students spend 10 days first in their elementary methods at a part-time internship placement. And then the next semester, they spend another 10 days at a secondary placement in their secondary methods course. Uh, also coupled with that secondary methods course is our adapted methods course. And students spend five days 
out of the semester at a part-time fully adapted internship. The remaining 75 days to 80 days or so cushioning are done in the final student teaching semester. A lot of our students are, uh, you know, have families and have external work commitments and, and other you know, courses that they're taking in addition to these methods courses. So the way that uh, we offer, offer the, the scheduling for the part-time internships is um, we will provide a window of time. So say for this spring semester, um, the window of time, and this is just arbitrarily kind of chosen by the department or by the program when we meet as a team, for this semester, we say, okay, you need to spend those 10 days at your placement sometime between March 1st and May 20th, right? So we give them a window of, of eight to 10 weeks. So that way the students can choose, right? Uh, given their other commitments and demands on their time when they go to their internship. So the intern will work directly with their mentor teacher. Their mentor teacher is aware, hey, you're in, you know, the intern will report to you for 10 days within this window of time, they'll be in touch with you prior to that date to schedule their 10 days with you. And so we have students that choose to use their entire spring break, right? The, the whole Towson spring break and just go for five days and then they you know, make up the, the, the remainder of the five days. Um, the one requirement that we do have is that uh, students spend the full day at their placement because we do want them to get that day in the life reference point. So they are there for the full eight hours when they commit to a day. There is no uh, coming and going from placements. Now, some students have run into issues, um, or I should say students that are in these methods courses typically are also taking courses outside of PEAT, right? They're also fulfilling other university requirements. Um, as the internships coordinator, I do sit down with all of the part-time interns at the beginning of the semester and kind of have my come to Jesus or what I call my come to Janae moment with them of saying that it is your responsibility to be proactive and to meet with your course instructor and let them know uh, of a conflict of uh, regarding, you know, scheduling and, and timing if they need to miss class. Um, I offer my support if, if they need, if that course instructor needs any type of uh, verification. Uh, but it really is incumbent upon the students themselves to arrange their schedule as they, they see fit, um, making sure, again, they get in those, those 10 full days um, and, and making arrangements as needed with their other course instructors. Um, so that's how we structure it here at Towson. We're also looking into um, having kind of more guided field experiences in our introduction Course. So we have an intro to profession. So we're looking at kind of taking mini field trips or, or so um, with uh, county supervisors and district coordinators uh, to various schools around the area, uh, again, to kind of give them that initial exposure uh, of what, you know, current practices are. So that's, that's how we do it at Towson. If anyone has any more questions, I'm, I am the internship coordinator uh, for the program. So I'm happy to kind of go more in depth into any one of the you know, the, the structures of how we do things and what communications are like, how we train our mentors and things like that. Um, if anyone has any questions, but I'll, I'll leave it there. Great, thank you so much today. And you mentioned that training the mentors. I think one of the things that <clears throat> we obviously know is really important is the, the mentor and um, 
um, sometimes arguably the most important part of an entire program. So um, be curious to know more about um, how you or anyone else trains their mentor teachers. Um, you know, we've tried to, to um, keep connections with our alumni to, to make sure that they at least have the same background and expectation um, that we do. Uh, but then, you know, there's, there's only so many of them out there. And so that connecting to people who are um, teaching high quality physical education sometimes is difficult. So especially at certain levels. So I appreciate that. Um, Kason, I think you want to chat. I was just, so I'm at East Tennessee State University. I graduate about 15 or so uh, Pete students a year. And I'm not a recruiter. So I don't, I was never trained that way. I mean, I can sell myself and I go to open houses and such. But the thing I tried to look at is what can I control? And I work, I've spent a lot of time with our Office of Continuing Studies and they house the you know, the general studies and the interdisciplinary majors. And I went and just started recruiting in-house of students who don't declare majors, many of which I found out are athletes. And what I do is I don't, I started by not recruiting them into the major specifically, but recruited them into the coaching minor, which has major overlap with the physical. And I, I made the coaching minor to have, you know, the, you know, the most, kind of fun, interactive, because, I mean, we're a one double A kind of mid-major, but we get a lot of athletes that just have no home. And our numbers have, have, have gone up the last three years in a row. And I'm hoping that that turns the tide a little bit because I don't have time to spend in the community colleges or high schools with my teaching load. And, you know, we're only a program of two plus a full-time supervisor. So, I mean, for me, it's so anecdotal, but that's where I started is just seeing students. I met so many students that didn't have a home and I tried to sell them on at least the minor and hopefully that transitions into a major. And I know there are other strategies, but that's what I've been doing lately. Great. Uh, does anyone else have <clears throat> some interesting recruitment strategies? I saw Risto um, sharing. That's really great that you got some funding. Um, I'm wondering with with the decline in enrollments, I think there's going to be a push in in just generally speaking in trying to find other ways and funding maybe part of that um, to increase enrollment in in teacher education. And so I wonder if we could try to just as a profession work to get part be part considered for part of that pot of money if your university has it like. Um, Risto does uh, at Mason. <clears throat> um, just looking at other. So Lisa and Risto both mentioned that YouTube videos are one of the top resources. So um, looks like several of several programs are creating videos and putting them out there on YouTube. Um, Kevin, I think, do you want to share a little bit? Oh, um, I so I was just looking through the chat and uh, uh, Phil Ward. Uh, posted something about how one of the, the, the more efficient or effective recruitment strategies that, that, that he's seen is offering free tuition and student loan forgiveness 
and he uh, uh, Phil Phil included a link um, with his with his post. But but Phil, I was wondering if you wanted to unmute and say anything more about that. I've been looking at this problem for a long time, and though there are many local solutions, the it seems to me that money is going to be at the source of both ends of the teacher pipeline. And there's a lot we could do with money that isn't there. So um, when it, when it about, we, it's still true that depending on the location, 30 to 50, 48% or so teachers leave in the first three to five years. And that costs districts, I don't know, upwards of like 20 or $30,000 per teacher per year in a, a place like Chicago, that's well over $3 million. And in a place, uh, and in Texas, many districts are at that level. At a rural at a rural district, it can cost upwards of $50,000. It seems to me that we could, we, we could, in fact, use some of that money to perhaps um, pay for the final year of teacher education um, for folks who are in um, schools to put them in, like what used to be the old... Um, uh, oh bugger, I can't remember the name, but when we had several teachers in a school and they were supervised by a, by a university supervisor and a practicing teacher, um, can't remember the name and, and everyone who's ever been at Ohio State will beat me up for that. But um, in any case, that's one, that's one way that some districts, and I know there are universities in the country that are doing that right now, they're using school money with the statement of saying, look, um, You'll get a job in this school if if you work here for a year, and we're going to and our district or in this district, and and our district will pay for you for your final year. Um, uh, the, the other way is to use that money to recruit people in. Arizona State University, Hans Vandermaas told me that they have free tuition. I think um, uh, for for teachers there, um, it's shown only a, more, a small increase in physical education, but I think it's pretty early. Um, but I know of places around the country where that free tuition um, uh, is going to increase. And right now we're dealing with warm body syndrome all over America and um, anybody is being able to stand in front of a class of any, any subject area and teach. So I think I think that those are very promising ways to move forward in a really difficult situation. The only other thing I, I wanted to mention that I heard earlier, when, when folks put up that student teachers were substitute teaching, um, I nearly had a coronary. Um, uh, I, I can't imagine someone from our program in their second year going out and substitute teaching. But in the degree I was trained in in Australia, we spent three years in the university and we didn't get a degree. We got a diploma in the final year. We went out, not in the final year, we had to go out for at least uh, one year as a teacher. And then we came back for the final year of a baccalaureate. And when we came back, we were different people because we'd been teaching for a year or two. And it may be that if the final year is substitute teaching, we could do evening classes with our students to help them integrate that that final year content that we'd like them to have. So uh, th there's a lot of promise, I think, with um, things that initially appear to be rather not so good. Um, I'll, I'll shut up there. And, um... Great, thank you so much. Yeah, um, those are really some, some really good points. And I, I the substitute teaching, uh, I think that's happening everywhere. I think over half of our student teachers have been asked to substitute teach. Some of them are being hired as the long-term sub until they find someone else um, just because they're desperate. And so it is, it is uh, an issue. 
Um, Aaron, you have your hand up and I'll unmute, ask you to unmute now if you wanna share. Yeah, thanks. Um, so Dr. Ward, you sparked something that I was gonna share with the group. Um, so the legislation here in Hawaii, Hawaii is different because our um, we only have one Department of Education for the entire state. So it works a little bit different. But when you were talking about um, the district uh, paying for uh, the teacher education programs, the legislation here in Hawaii actually passed that a few years ago. Um, it's called Grow Your Own. And it's a recruitment tactic to get people to come into the field of education. So essentially the legislation or the Department of Education here in Hawaii pays for teachers to come to a teacher education program, they get their degree, and then they're asked to teach at least two years in the Hawaii Department of Education um, when they graduate. So it has been a recruitment tool for us. I think in physical education, we don't see as many grow your own students, um, but it's probably more restrictions on our program where we're not an online program. We're not um, statewide, which would be online in the, in the sense that there's outer islands that we can't um, service at the moment and other education programs like our secondary and elementary programs that do have statewide programs that are more in an online um, format see a lot more of those um, people but I think it's beneficial both for obviously the university and recruitment and retention but then in our public schools as well because the amount of teachers that are like the retention is terrible in, in the Department of Ed here in Hawaii and kind of touching on your sub comment, um, Hawaii just passed a law this or a law this year that essentially waives the, the requirement of a bachelor's to sub. And so anyone with a high school diploma can essentially sub and being out in the schools, listening to our teachers, it's really like your student teacher is way better than the other warm bodies that we're essentially getting um, in the schools. And so the schools are in such dire need of just having people there for supervision, which is such a sad state to be in, so. Well, you did mention retention. Um, and I think uh, just given our time and the, <clears throat> all the other things we need to wanna talk about, uh, we can switch gears over and uh, Kason's gonna talk and lead us in a discussion on retention. So once we've got our students, how do we keep them? Um, and so Kaysen, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, this very much uh, plays off what we just did, but you know, the, the next topic we wanted to kind of just get people to chime in on is there's a lot of shift that's happening. And I, I'm sure many department chairs out there have asked us, how are we, how are we keeping, you know, even just in the chat recently, there's been, I've, programs changing their name to repackage things related to physical activity or more of a public health focus, uh, as well as physical activity focus, kinesiology focused. So we want to hear, you know, your thoughts about the last two topics, which is retention. And then in a little bit, we'll talk about uh, some more contemporary challenges. But with retention specifically, you know, how are you handling, you know, the blending of more moving more towards a kinesiology based model or a shift towards another health based or physical activity based model? Um, how are you, you know, are you offer, offering non licensure options to recruit or to retain students who aren't teacher candidate worthy, but you don't want to lose them in general? 
Um, is there other ways you're keeping your pre-service teachers engaged? You know, do you, you know, what are you doing as a peak community, whether it's clubs, are you taking them out? They're kind of the outside of the classroom things that I think we think make a lot of a difference. Um, so we just wanted to open that section up to everyone about, you know, kind of what are you doing to maintain and retain students? So I can go, um, sorry. Um, so one thing and um, apologies if Jen or Brian already mentioned this, but one of the things that we've started to purposely do is incorporate more of our um, sport and exercise science coursework earlier in the degree program. So it used to be that the first time um, we saw our PE majors whereas as sophomores and they took pretty much their um, here they're called LACs, liberal arts credits, but you know gen eds or whatever folks call them at different institutions. And we don't know yet if that's going to work because we've just started to do that. Um, but they start to take um, I have some freshmen this semester um, in my um, secondary content class. Um, which is an activity-based class where we introduce them to curriculum models and do a whole bunch of different um, sports and activities through those models. And so that's something that we're trying is to get them into the major quicker, get them introduced to our PE club, um, things like that, so that um, hopefully they, you know, not only stay at UNC, um, but also stay in our program. Um, because I think we all know, I mean, I remember being an undergrad and like those first two years of gen eds, like was sort of like, I just want to be a PE teacher, right? And um, those don't necessarily connect all the time. So that's something we're trying. Um, stay tuned to see if it's going to work. I think with lowering enrollments, we have less students that we're trying to retain. Um, so hopefully little things like that can help our program. Great. Thank you for that. Um, let's Raymond, we will... There you go. Can you can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Awesome. Hi, I'm Ray Martinez. I'm a professor and chair at uh, physical education and sports science in Winona at Winona State University in Winona, Minnesota. And uh, kind of to all your points, one of the things we, we've been looking at is how to re retain. Um, we get students right away. We put them into our fundamentals units, um, so they're they're jumping into fundamentals of adventure, fundamentals of aquatics, and we're out in the Mississippi, so they get to be in paddle sports and back and kayaking, canoeing. Because we live in Minnesota, with in, right in the Mississippi, we also have the bluffs. Um, we have winter uh, climbing uh, and, and those kinds of as aspects of it. But as far as retention is concerned, we do know that, like all programs, we do lose students who maybe in their sophomore or junior year feel like they're they don't want to be a uh, teacher anymore but we don't want to lose them out of the out of the program so we've been in the process this well COVID's been hard but in the last couple of years of looking at an, an adventure sport coaching model and we have an adventure education minor we have a coaching minor and then we have these bridging classes that uh, we put together so many of the coaching minor classes are also part of our physical education major. So we're double dipping a little bit there. Then we also have our, our, our coaching minor and then our adventure minor classes so that they, they cross over a little bit too. But we also know in the state of Minnesota, it's a little bit different that there's 
we have four tiers of licensure and the students can actually not become a physical education teacher, but in the state of Minnesota, if they finish a four-year degree and have some coursework that has some basic pedagogical coursework, they can actually go into a school setting if a school district finds out that they can't hire anyone else that has a tier three license, which is what most students graduate with. So what we're finding out is students are saying, I would really like to work with kids. I really want to coach. I really like this adventure stuff that you're doing. Is there something I can do with it? And so our adventure sport coaching major that we're in the middle of proposing right now, we have all our courses through, we're finding where the students are falling back into that rather than just losing them because we didn't have something to fall back onto or them having to go and pick up exercise science, sports science, realizing that's a lot more rigorous than I thought, or I'm just gonna go ahead and leave, try to go someplace else. Because obviously we realize that we don't want them leaving in their end of their sophomore year, junior year with the debt that they've accumulated. We want them to be able to at least come back and be part of that. So we also are focusing on the comprehensive schools um, program so that they can do some before school program or after school programming. Um, they can partner with uh, park and rec programs, YMCAs um, as well. So we're finding that that's starting to gain some traction. And so I just thought I'd share it. Thank you. That's great. I almost want to talk to you myself about some of their outdoor integration. We have a little bit here in the mountains of Tennessee, but I, I need to be, I, that's my goal is to be better in that area. That's uh, awesome. Any other thoughts on um, retention? Uh, we, I mean, just the short version before I kind of go on to our last topic, we have done very similar to uh, Jamie mentioned. Uh, we moved a lot of our program much earlier and um, to get students to meet us earlier. You know, I try to be the best salesman I can with my colleague and to see them as early as possible. Um, and our cohort model has really helped with that. And I'm sure many of you have the same, but they take every single class together. And, you know, they really are all a family by the end of the semester, you know, end of their graduating. We have created a non-licensure route right now where they can stay all the way until just before student teaching, where they have to take an alternative track um, and don't have to take the EdTPA. So um, that's just one thing that we're doing just to keep them in house um, because they don't want to leave their cohort and their family. And um, yeah, and I don't want to counsel them out to, you know, they're so deep. I don't want to send them to parks and rec or, or whatnot. All right. Last call for something on uh, retention. We do have, yeah. It's, it's not a, hi everybody. I work at Manhattanville College in Purchase, New York, and this is not about retention, but it's about the student teaching program. I oversee that at Manhattanville College, and I, I was first of all fascinated by the idea of student teaching for a full year. That's really interesting, and we really get that a lot with our students in the sense of they can't take the time off of work to student teach for those 16 weeks. And so we're, we're really running into problems with, with substitute teaching at the same time or uh, working as a health teacher part-time and student teaching 50% of the time. And so it's, it's been a struggle to kind of uh, keep that 
in check. Uh, we've also instituted a new kind of uh, structure for, for observing the teachers. So I serve as a seminar professor and we use practicing teachers to observe the students, they're the teacher candidates, and then the field observer, the field supervisor, we call them, works directly with the cooperating teacher and with me on the students, uh, on the students' progress throughout the semester. I didn't really like it last semester, and so I'm kind of changing it this semester and getting out and seeing all the students myself because it, the school didn't really want me to go out and see our candidates. I was just serving as the seminar professor. So that's kind of been a change that, I'm, that I've made this semester too. And at the same time, uh, I don't know if this is innovative or not, but we're working with uh, a charter school system in the Bronx right now to try to develop some type of a pipeline, basically. They are they hire, they own and operate seven charter schools in Manhattan and the Bronx. And we're trying to get our students as part of those that they hire and train and place in their school systems. And we kind of see that as a real value to our students to have this automatic placement. Obviously, the certification, those, the EdTPA wouldn't be required for a charter school. And I, I believe that the certification is a little bit different uh, when we're not talking about a, a public school as well. So that, those are, that's kind of in the works right now here in, in Westchester, uh, which is kind of, uh, well, I'm hoping that this, this, this uh, partnership with the charter schools works. I think it could be really great for our students. They're, they'll come in and they'll present to our students and let them hear about what the school system is all about. And hopefully we can take it from there. Thanks for letting me, thanks for letting me talk. No, thank you so much. Uh, I can empathize too with the charter school. We have a charter school as well as a uh, small school for autism that's allowed us a lot of freedom in town to, you know, get beyond some of the public school and we can kind of come and go a lot more as we please. And, and that interaction has been great. Yeah, thanks. All right, our final kind of topic of the day, I'm gonna, um, which I know we're running short here on time. And we want to acknowledge that this topic um, pretty much has had its own peak collaborative, almost all of them. But if you're innovating or done something creative, in the relation to something that's a contemporary issue. Um, you, I just dropped in the chat just so um, you can see something related. And I know Brandy talked about social justice. Is there something that you, you know, learned from the pandemic and then now have implemented into your program? And is there something you're doing to help promote or advocate the program outside of the university community? Um, so, a lot of these could be their own and have already been their own sessions here in the collaborative, but um, kind of our final area, if anybody wants to talk about or kind of just, and remember, no innovation is too small. Just what did you learn from and how did you, how did you grow? Uh, feel free to raise your hand and we would love to hear from you. Um, 
I specifically want to know how, if anyone's, how have they implanted, imp, uh, implemented online physical education instruction? Uh, I see Elizabeth. Um, all right. Sorry, I'm in the school pickup line, so I'm not turning on my camera. But um, one of the things I learned was the need of our students to be able to put content online. So in my secondary methods course, um, though we're back to our live teaching experiences with our homeschool kids, they now maintain a Google Classroom and they have to put one or two things online so that they practice recording, practice maintaining what that LMS looks like. And I have had um, my recent student teachers who have gone through that have said that's really helped them in interviews and stuff like that to be able to talk about, oh yeah, I'm comfortable putting stuff online because I did it in our secondary practicum. So that's one thing I'm definitely keeping in my program. Do you have them share like with each other as kind of practice? No, so we run a homeschool practicum. So okay. the kids are actually enrolled in the, pro, in the Google classrooms and are submitting a couple of things throughout the practicum experience. So they can actually see what it looks like when students submit, how to grade it, how to communicate, all that kind of stuff. Can that send like um, like alerts or, 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 you know, messages to parents? I, I just. Yeah, I, yes, I allow the if the parents want to enroll so that they can see um, what's going on, then I allow that. Um, so, yeah, I have some parents that are in the classes. Some of them do some of the like fitness activities and stuff because they're just curious. Last call for some thoughts on innovation, specifically tech or. Um, you know, maybe social justice implementation. Um, okay. Well, at 512 uh, Eastern on my clock, uh, I am going to stop us today. Um, I do want to thank all those who've contributed. For me, I, can, I just love being a part of a group that talks physical education. I don't get to do that a lot of the time. And, you know, even the times when my colleagues are running it, um, I love listening. Uh, Jen Krause, I know, was and Kevin Richards were instrumental in putting this together. And the other group, um, you know, we're welcome to more thoughts on future collaboratives. Uh, we're just trying to do what's best for the community. We always think of us just as the group that is there for you, right? We and and we love that this, this collaborative keeps going, and we just want it to be a voice for. You and if you have small programs or initiatives that you ever wanted to uh, talk about, please let us know. Um, uh, Jen or Kevin, any final thoughts? I appreciate, so that, appreciate the discussion in the chat and for those of you who um, were able to contribute uh, verbally today. Um, got a lot of ideas in there and lots of links and um, so yeah, thank you. And Kevin, I think you were gonna say something. I, no, I was just gonna say pretty much the same thing that you did. Thank you so much to everybody and, and thanks to Kaysen and, uh, and Jen for, for really taking the lead on this one. Well, thanks, keep innovating and uh, have a great weekend. And please keep in touch if you have any ideas or thoughts moving forward. Go forth and be active.